Hello, welcome back to the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is episode number 111. My name is Rob Woods, and this is the show for anyone who works in fundraising and who wants ideas and maybe a little dose of inspiration to help you raise more money and really enjoy your job. This time, we're again looking at fundraising through grants, trusts and foundations, as I'm sharing an interview with Neela Jane Stansfield, who is a very experienced, high-value fundraiser and the author of an excellent new book called Grants Fundraising, published by the Directory of Social Change. Neela Jane has been fundraising for more than 15 years, working for a range of charities, including Marie Curie, the Stroke Association and UNICEF UK. This is the second episode I've recently recorded with Neela Jane. In episode 110, we talked a lot about things you can do in advance of applying to a trust to increase your chances of success. And this time, we're looking mostly at things you can do after securing funding to deepen relationships and your chances of further donations in the long term. Now, just before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to some of the lovely people who've been getting in touch with me through social media and sharing this podcast in the last couple of weeks. So this is a big thank you to Gemma, to Rachel, to The Green Man, to Louise, Phoebe, Nicola, Max and Victoria. For now though, let's get straight into my recent conversation with Neela Jane. Neela Jane, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me again, Rob. Okay, thanks for giving more time. So last time we were talking about your excellent book called Grants Fundraising. And just to help people tune into what we were talking about, you had fundamental metaphor about seeing this process of applying for grants and donations from foundations as seeing it more like a sponge cake rather than just going for the jam. Could you just help us recap with the brief version of that analogy? Yeah, sure. It sounds a bit crazy, doesn't it? But yeah, basically, if you think of a sponge cake with three layers, so you've got your sponge at the bottom, a jam layer in the middle and sponge on the top. And the premise of the whole book really is that we need to look at the cake as a whole with funder cultivation as the bottom layer that's your research and planning and engagement and relationship building chunk then you've got your application your proposal development and submission in the middle and then you've got your funder care your thanking management and stewardship and it's those whole three layers a whole holistic approach that we need to be looking at so the book's called grants fundraising it doesn't have a tagline if it had a tagline the tagline would be it's not just about the jam (laughs) beautifully explained and then Neela Jane most charities do their best they work hard in terms of thanking for a donation and following up keeping people informed stewarding and impact reports and so on Uh, but where do you think they can fall down and what ideas do you have to help them do those things really well yeah so this is kind of that top layer of the the sponge cake the, the funder care stuff and I think there's kind of three elements to that. As you say, you've got your thanking, and that's like a hygiene thing, really, isn't it? Your basic saying thank you, thank you letter, your receipt, or what have you. Being polite, and that's kind of expected and necessary. And then you've got your grant management stuff where you're reporting back on the progress, maybe sending a six-month or a yearly or whatever, the, the funder stipulated progress report, keeping them updated to changes of the project, all that kind of, again, hygiene stuff that you should be doing. And then I think you've got stewardship which I like to think of as being slightly set almost like the <laughs> to take the analogy a bit further almost like the icing on top of the cake <laughs> um because it's not I think for me stewardship is it's kind of optional in that it's not obligatory and it's not even necessarily expected but its value is 
astronomical. <laughs> There's a commercial marketing stat that, that tells you that if you're trying to sell a product to an existing customer, they are 60 to 70% likely to to buy that product again. But if you're actually trying to sell to a new customer, it's something like 5% likelihood that they're going to actually buy that product. So your existing customers, your existing clients, your existing funders, they are the ones that you are so much more likely to get the, the big sustainable grants from. So if you want to have a, a long-term income growing strategy, then you've got to be looking at doing chip. Well, there's also some research from the Institute of Sustainable Philanthropy that came out recently, and that was showing that for the donors that are thanked and are told about the impact of their donation, their gift, on average, they increase the value of their future gift by 60%, 6 zero, And that's just thanking and being told about their, the impact. So that's just the thanking and grant management stuff. So if we add in this creative stewardship element, which is all about really getting a funder involved, really getting them passionate and, and understanding the difference of their grant, really getting them embedded into your organisation. I like to use that phrase quite a lot, but really kind of getting under their skin and really understanding the difference that they're making and, and just being very bespoke, very unique, very creative. That's going to take you into a the long-term year-on-year kind of relationship that, that you really want to have with your funders. Yes. So going beyond the expected, I guess, and doing something that is not necessarily needing to be out and out creative, but just is more thoughtful and insightful about who that funder is and what they might care about. I don't know if you've got any examples that might help our listeners tune into this. Yeah, and you're so right. It doesn't have to be some wow bang you know fireworks in the sky fancy thing it can be really really basic and usually really cheap as well it doesn't have to be something expensive in fact I think probably the cheaper the better because funders don't want to think that you're spending loads of money on this so a great example the charity I used to work with used to produce these beautiful cheap but really thoughtful and beautifully meaningful scrapbooks for their funders so they would literally gather anecdotes pictures just physical stuff that they could stick in a scrapbook and then send it off to the funder and imagine opening that it's not another boring grant report thing that they've got to read through it's a physical tangible thoughtful meaningful piece that connects that person at the grant maker to the charitable work that they've enabled other examples i worked with one charity with a lovely piece of stewardship around um a picture they created as a children's charity and they used the fingerprints of some of their child beneficiaries to just make it look a picture using just loads and loads of these like colourful fingerprints to represent every child that that funder had reached with their gift um, and that picture now hangs on the the wall of the entranceway of that funder's office so the trustees and the board members the directors they walk past you see it every day on their way into the office that kind of thing that is just quite simple, really cheap um, to create, but so meaningful. I think a good way of thinking of it is if you were to buy someone a gift, I don't know, let's say you bought someone a nice scarf for Christmas, um, and then you get a lovely little thank you note that's just a kind of printed out little thank you for your gift, and they've written your name on the top, and that's lovely. You'd think, oh, lovely, they got my gift, lovely. Alternatively, if you got a video of that person wearing the scarf saying Rob just wanted to show you this video I love this scarf so much you know I wear it every day I love it thank you so much you can see how it goes well with my outfit I just wanted to show you this video see you later bye 
that one little video is going to make you think, oh, I'm so glad I got her that scar. Oh, she really loves it. It's really, it, you just, you have an emotional reaction to something that is so much more personal and thoughtful and bespoke than the kind of very standard basic thanking stuff. And that's kind of what it's all about, really, with creative stewardship. I think other examples of ways you can, you can do it are just to get under the skin of of the work that you're doing and presenting that to the funder. So that's which a really lovely funder. It's called Rosie, who works for a, a cancer hospital. And she started shadowing some of the staff at the hospital that she worked at and just gathering these stories of the stuff that she was working with. And this was around the time of the pandemic. So she was kind of gathering stories, particularly around how the pandemic had emotionally affected the cancer nurses that she that were working at this hospital. Now, Rosie was sending out these progress reports to her funders. They weren't asks, they were just reports. She started using some of those stories that she'd gathered, um, really for her own kind of understanding of the project, and putting some of those personal stories into her progress reports. And then she found that suddenly she was getting phone calls back from these grant makers. Sometimes even checks were coming in because there was something personal and connective that she had gathered and communicated to the donor that just went that extra mile and just is reaching the kind of emotive part of the funder. Yeah, I really liked that because I had a, a brief conversation with Rosie once as well about the same thing. And I remember her saying, you know, she's an experienced trust fundraiser and she's saying something along the lines of how if you're not careful, it's all too easy to include in those stewardship pieces more factual information about what the charity does yeah. rather than what the donor really cares about, which is what difference is it making? Yeah. And what's so tough for people with cancer right now during this pandemic? So the problem, what's so tough and is it helping? Is our donation helping? The difference it's making those are things that she said she started putting so much more into her all of her communication because she's got out there more and she's got these deeper insights she's got these stories yeah absolutely yeah it's, I think it's the extra mile is probably the is a really good phrase to try and have in mind for that because it's the same with applications we 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 can be really tempted just to talk about the activity that we're looking for funding for. Whereas really, whilst funders want to know what they're funding activity-wise, it is the outcome that funders are, are really interested in. And that applies to your proposal and it also applies to your stewardship. It's about communicating and, and getting across the power of the outcome that they've been able to achieve through their grant through you. I think another way of doing that actually is, is I love milestone mapping. That's something that I've done at, at various charities where you start tracking and you have to be careful that you're tracking it accurately, but, but tracking how long someone's actually been giving to you for and how much. Because funders often aren't necessarily aware themselves that they might have reached a certain income milestone. So a funder, for example, once I Marie Curie, we had a funder that was giving about £5,000 a year. But over the course of a good sort of 20, 25 years, and once you get to a point where they've actually they've given 200K, they're probably not even aware that they've given you 200K, but that's a huge amount of money. So if you can suddenly celebrate that by developing something lovely, it might be a scrapbook, it might be a video message from your CEO or, or a nurse or a handwritten note from a beneficiary or a picture made by a child that you work with or whatever your cause is, whatever kind of is appropriate, something unusual and unique and then send that to that funder and say you might not realize but you've 
you've been supporting us for this amount of time and you've given 200,000 pounds how delighted and, and um, wonderful that will feel for for that funder to receive and you know, it's not just about being nice those are really nice things for the funder it's also strategic stuff because funders at some point are going to wind up grant makers wind up at some point and at that point they will be giving out spending out their capital and giving out windfall gifts to different charities you want to be on the windfall list because a charity that gives you 510k a year might suddenly give you 200 300k maybe more when they wind up and have a lot of capital to spend out and you are going to be on that list if you have maintained a really really good relationship and the stronger the relationship you've maintained and that means the better stewardship you've been doing the higher that gift is going to be when it comes in and the more worthwhile it will it will all have been so it's not just about being lovely that is important too you want to maintain your reputation but this is strategic income generation stuff hi it's rob and i wanted to jump in really quickly to let you know about our two flagship courses designed to help you grow high value fundraising results That's the Major Gifts Mastery Programme and the Corporate Mastery Programme. Rather than have me tell you about how they work, I thought it would be most interesting if you could hear from someone who's done one of these courses recently. So here is a short clip from Sam Harford, who is a philanthropy officer at the British Red Cross, talking about her experience. Hi, my name is Sam and I'm a philanthropy officer for the British Red Cross. If you want to improve your major donor approaches and raise more money for your charity, I would really, really recommend Rob's Major Donor Mastery course. It was absolutely fantastic for me and built my confidence so much. And I really began to change my mindset and start focusing on cultivating for major donor relationships rather than major donor gifts. Since joining the programme, I've raised over £600,000 in pledges and donations. So I'm really grateful for all of the support and guidance from Rob. So if you'd like to find out more about either the Major Gifts Mastery Programme or the Corporate Mastery Programme, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. Right now, let's get back to my conversation with Neela Jane about effective stewardship. And the other thing that really struck me from my interviews with Andy Watts, who we mentioned earlier, is that while some of the many things he and his team have done over the years to help donors feel great about the difference they make, some of them are fascinating and creative. The truth is that most of what has enabled them to happen isn't creativity, it's the quality of internal relationships that Mm. he and his colleagues ongoingly nurture and think about and invest in internally. And again, our listeners may be thinking, yeah, well, that sounds nice, Rob. You should try working with with so-and-so who I have to, who was just so rude to me. And I get that it's definitely not always easy because there's all kinds of different perspectives within many charities. I get that it can be hard. All I'm saying is, as I see it, Andy Watts thinks about, works on more deeply how to educate and, and build relationships with his non-fundraising colleagues than most fundraisers I've ever met. In fact, most fundraisers I know are really good at being caring and thoughtful and insightful about their funders. And they will try to do that internally, but it's also annoying that their colleagues don't get it. And so the level of patience for building internal relationships, to an extent, there's a thought, well, why should I have to? Whereas I've never heard that from Andy. 
he's just forever thoughtful and curious as to why people might have different perspectives internally. He told me about this excellent regular internal newsletter he shares with all stakeholders about funding opportunities in which he, A, mentions which trusts he'd like to apply to and does anyone know anyone there? Mm. B, he's continually thanking and closing the loop of telling people the difference you know, that, that people's efforts have made. He told me he once sent flowers and a card to the head of clinical services, not the donor, but, the, but to the colleague who'd been especially helpful in an approach to a funder. So it's this level of relationship building, which I think lots of fundraisers do for donors, yeah. but finding energy to do it internally. Truth is, Neela Jane, that's not easy. Over your career, any thoughts, any tips to help us some justify making the time and emotional energy yeah. to do it that way around? Yeah, you're right. And it is difficult. And, and it's again, it's it's um, a lot of the same stuff, actually, isn't it, that we're doing with the funders, the relationship building stuff, doing it internally and, and effectively stewarding your colleagues in a not dissimilar way to the, how you would steward your funders. And there are certain ways. You're right. It's a lot about education. And that involves literally sitting down, explaining, having meetings with um, discussing how grants fundraising actually work there is this misconception that we are just sitting there at our desk typing away farming stuff off and then money just comes back in again the more you can involve your internal colleagues with the actual process whether that is running through a peer review sitting down together looking at do you know anyone on the board of so and so and you know involving them in the process and then absolutely feeding back where you have successes that's going to get them that energy and, and motivation and understanding of what you're actually doing I mean it can even just be little things like having a regular lunch where your team and another certain team go out together for lunch or sit down in the cafeteria or wherever it is however it works your office or having a cup of tea together over zoom just fostering those internal relations in the same same kind of strategic way that you would do with a funder and again it is kind of it's nice but it's also it is strategic because you need these people to enable your job to enable you to get the funding to enable their job and they need to be able to see the value of that for them to want to be able to get involved in the process I think a lot of it also is about celebrating wins when I worked at Marie Curie we had a whole thing of when we got a grant in there was a whole big celebration thing and the email would go around we had this thing for some reason we would fish where we would get a different I don't know why like a big fish I suppose like a picture of a fish different pictures of fishes you know explaining what the grant was with a big picture of fish and what it was for and who was involved and that would go around the whole organization every time significant grant over I think it was over 5k we did it went around that helps to get it into the mind of other colleagues that this is what we're doing. These are the kind of names of people we're working with. These are the kind of levels of funding we're working with, which is significant. And, you know, so-and-so was involved in that. Maybe I'd like to get involved in that too. And fundraising, particularly kind of major gifts and trusts, is quite exciting and novel for someone, especially that doesn't even work in that, that area. So the more you can kind of talk about it, get it out there, get it in your internal comms, you're going to be prom essentially promoting your, your department and your team to encourage them to get involved. Of course, another thing is we can feel like it's our job as the fundraiser to go and make the approach and it's all on us. Whereas in practice, it can be so powerful if it's someone else known to the funder who 
cares about our cause and they're involved. You got any thoughts about how we might manage that process in practice? Absolutely. So I definitely think that we don't want to be shy about being able to make the ask ourselves. But in my experience, in the, in the, the majority of the significant grants will come when it's someone else making the ask on your behalf. So one charity that I've worked with before, they got their largest ever grant. It was for a million pounds. And this was from a foundation that didn't on paper fit with the cause at all. You wouldn't actually have thought that they'd even be eligible. But the CEO of the charity had a friend who was friends with someone else who was friends with the chair of the foundation. And through that connection, uh, there was able to be a conversation, a meeting, ultimately a programme proposal developed together and they ended up giving this largest ever grant to this charity and actually they went on to do a kind of a big event with them together as well. And on, Now that would never have happened had there not been this kind of connection mapped out and used using a kind of peer-to-peer introductory approach and you don't need to be a large well-known big branded charity to do this well and sometimes that can be the perception that you do need to be big and therefore everyone know who you are um, I know of another charity that has a small two million pound turnover and the founder of that charity is really great at doing this peer-to-peer stuff so she is always thinking about who can we ask to help us open doors to grant makers and one of their fabulous stories that I love one of my favorite peer-to-peer stories is where She simply asked one of the volunteers that support them, gave them a list of some of the grant makers that they were looking to approach. This volunteer had a friend who knew one of the trustees um, on the board of a grant maker. And that led to a meeting which led to a £100,000 grant to their charity. Now, this grant maker was one of the ones that says that they don't accept unsolicited applications and we all know there's many of those around it's this peer-to-peer networky way of working that is it's, it's the way to get into grant makers like that and also asking your funders it's the same with the the stewardship thing of your best bets being the people you already know people that already give to you are already caring about your work already wanting to be helpful ask your funders who else in your networks would you be able to introduce us to you know you know that we're a great charity and we use wonderful things we're looking for some more people that can help us could you help me have an introduction or a meeting with this foundation or this foundation they're, they're so much more likely to say yes if they know that that you've been introduced to them or endorsed by another funder that they that they know and respect such excellent advice neely jane uh, thank you I would love to go deeper and deeper, but really I think people should go and buy your book because there's so much great stuff there and then they can read it at their leisure. I need to get you away very soon, but for now, Neela Jane, thank you ever so much for coming on. I guess if people want to follow up and ask you a question, they can find you on LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, please do. Yeah, any questions or advice I can help with, please do send me a message. Great. Okay, so Neela Jane Stansfield on LinkedIn. But for now, Neela Jane, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and I look forward to catching up with you very soon. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you found our conversation helpful. If so, and you've not yet subscribed, please do that today. For one thing, you can get immediate access to the previous episode with Neela Jane, which is episode 110, which is all about tactics that increase your chances of successful trust applications in the first place. 
And if you'd like to see a full transcript and a brief summary of the episode, go to the podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Now, if you're an individual fundraiser who recognises the amazing power of learning to help you be successful, or you're the leader of a team and you'd like to get your team access to a whole library of my best training films for fundraisers, as well as our live sessions each week with inspiring people like Neela Jane, then do check out our learning and inspiration site, the Bright Spot Members Club. You can find out more at brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. Or to find out more about discounts for teams, send me a message via the Bright Spot Fundraising website. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do take a moment to share it on with anyone you think would find it helpful so that we can help as many fundraisers and charities as we can in these challenging times. Neela Jane and I are both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, I am at Woods underscore Rob. Thank you so much for listening today. Good luck with your trusts and foundations fundraising. And I look forward to sharing more Bright Spot examples with you very soon. Thank you.